This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 567. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Kevin Jacobson, CFO of LogicGate. With yet another year of impressive growth behind it, Jacobson says LogicGate's foundation has been firmly laid and a new growth chapter is about to open. LogicGate, a provider of governance, risk, and compliance software, now expects its workforce to expand from 100 to 170 during 2020. We speak to Kevin about growth and risk after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you Head of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP. We'll keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com.
in investment banking, working with uh, lots of different uh, technology companies, primarily in software, with all sorts of different transactional needs. So anything from um, an desire to go public or seeking to uh, sell the company if it was essentially owned by a private equity firm. So I did lots of corporate transactions on the sell side. And I subsequently moved on to uh, a growth equity firm called Public Partners, which is a firm with long operating history, one of the biggest software investors in the country and, and, and essentially the world. And so kind of moved from the sell side over to the buy side, where instead of the, the question being, um, how can we position this company? for success in a sale was, is this a good investment opportunity? Um, so it's similar in some respects, but um, uh, different in many respects. Um, and then kind of my third chapter was moving over to an operating role um, at a company called Kapow, which was a corporate event technology company, where I joined uh, I joined the company reporting to the CFO and then eventually became the CFO of the company. So those three experiences were kind of the experiences that led me to where I am now at Logic and kind of three different three different viewpoints on a lot of the same problems. So I, I was, you know, the, the venture capital uh, investor that we have at Logic uh, At one point in time, I was thinking about the world the same way that they do, um, and thinking about investments, and, and then, you know, mapping that to some of the decisions that we have to make on a daily basis, and certainly during our strategic planning processes at Logic uh, all of that context has been super helpful for me as, as I've become um, an operational finance leader. But the operational piece of this, was that something, uh, you know, while you were at Summit Partners, you knew you were someday going to land in an operational role in that? So what you experienced during that role? I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I knew it. Um, I would say that what I was feeling was, um, one of the, the, the nature of those businesses in investment banking and, and, and venture capital and, and private equity is very much um, uh, the nature of it is you have to be on to the next deal. So you you know you have a client and they they go through an IPO process and then you know you work with them for six months or so on that get to know the management team get to know the business. Um, well, the IPO is completed, so now you're kind of uh, on to the next transaction. Similar similar style in. Uh, venture investing where you complete an investment and then you're on to find the next one. That's the nature of the business. That's what you have to do. That's what you commit to your LP, what you're going to do. And so what I felt, um, just based on who I am, was that that was something I, I, I realized I just didn't really like because I had gotten to know the business, learned a lot about it, got to know the people, uh, was enjoying, you know, working with the company and understanding its problems and thinking through how we could be, how we might help them solve solutions. And then, you know, much like uh, much similar style work in uh, management consulting and other businesses where um, inevitably that, that comes to an end and you kind of have to go on to the next thing. Uh, I found for me that um, I really had a strong desire to keep going. And, you know, we had learned a lot about the company and its problems, and I had a strong desire to still want to continue working on it to go deep in a company versus kind of more broad. So uh, that's something I've learned about myself over time, and that's why, um, you know, after I took the took a, step more on the operating side of, of software companies, um, I think, because I, I found that it was really scratching that itch that I felt like I had and um, enjoyed the process of building teams and building people, uh, building people, helping people build their careers, building companies. Um, so that's why, that's why I stayed. Um, but it wasn't always a kind of a preconceived notion or anything like that. Yeah, I want to 
our mission to be uh, to become the, the market leading GRC software company. So this part of the role is really playing for your experience, leveraging that experience and the investment banking world. Yeah, I, so I've, uh, I've worked on, you know, in, in investment banking, worked on um, many different categories and deals, then uh, worked on um, investing in software companies when I was at Summit. So I had a lot of uh, repetitions on deals uh, in that context. And then we raised multiple rounds of financing at Kapow, and then um, uh, came into Logic. This, they had done the Series A before I got there, but um, this is my first round that I did Logic, but had uh, a good amount of experience in capital raises, um, as well as um, um, M&A experience prior to joining Logic. And what would you imagine your job of money efforts could be So we, um, the nature of a CFO role as a not profitable venture-backed company is different than, is obviously much different than the CFO role at a mature, mature profitable organization. So um, the things that we're thinking about that are top of mind, they are, um, for us to become more of the market leader that we aspire to be, we need to grow, and we need to grow fast. So um, we look at ARR, annual recurring revenue growth, is our top metric that we think about in our mind. Um, where a lot of venture-backed companies go wrong is they, they over-index on growth uh, at the sake of, effic- of efficiency. So constantly keeping an eye on both growth and efficiency. So from a growth standpoint, it's things like ARR growth would be the lagging indicators, leading indicators would be pipeline. Uh, that we have, and we use, we use Salesforce to manage all of this, like most companies. Um, and we have uh, some systems in place for indicating quality of pipeline and, and uh, sales teams that, that are, that are you know, committing or saying, um, I, I'm going to commit this deal for, uh, for Q4 because I'm fairly certain it's going to close. So um, it's both how much, uh, how much business is coming in from a pipeline standpoint and then the status of that pipeline as the leading indicator to the, the ARR growth that we're aspiring to drive. Um, and then there's all sorts of efficiency metrics that we look at that are uh, a little bit more innocuous. And, um, are, you know, we, we do that a lot during our, our, our monthly financial reviews. And those are some of the metrics that uh, I think many of your listeners would be familiar with in terms of lifetime value of a customer versus customer acquisition costs, um, uh, efficient, uh, efficiency of our account executives, terms of how much business they're able to close at, at what periods of time um, and things like that. So um, very common kind of software as a service metrics that have become, come to be industry standards for how you kind of evaluate the software as a service business. So we look at those um, very deeply on a monthly basis to make sure that we're keeping our efficient, we're growing fast, but we're keeping our efficiency in check to your point about cash. Um, we have to, you know, we just raised our Series B and we need to make good use of that capital. Um, and so that's kind of our cycle for uh, reviewing KPIs. We also have a daily email that goes out that comes, uh, we use Domo for um, for dashboarding. So we have a daily email that comes out that has a lot of key metrics across our team that goes to all the leadership teams so they can all see, hey, here's the KPIs of my team and here's the KPIs of the other team. And here's how we're, we're trending. So that goes out every morning at 9 a.m. So this company has had some rapid growth during your CFO tenure for over a year now. But uh, one of the 
information done correctly with the company you need to answer, deciding whether the metric that just wasn't uh, accurate. Anything like that? Definitely had to work to create the visibility. I, I would say I inherited uh, in coming in a very fundamentally strong business. So I think, you know, we have three founders of the company who are operating the company for about three years before I got there. And I always, uh, you know, in learning about some of the decisions that were made in the past, I feel like they came to, you know, you come to many forks in the road when you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company. I felt that they, you know, turned right or left um, uh, for their benefit very consistently. So, Things like selecting the right systems um, to, for, for infrastructure for the company, things like selecting the right financing partner to that, you know, someone that aligns with your vision for where you want to take the company, uh, things like that. So, so, so to answer your question, I, I showed up and you know there was a QuickBooks was in place. There was um, like a spreadsheet that had a, a lot of detailed KPIs that um, you know uh, I think fairly fairly accurate uh, for the most part. Um, financial model that uh, was, was fairly accurate and very solid for decision making at that time. And so I, I came in and there was a version one, so to speak, of a lot of these things. And, and my task for myself at the time was how do I, you know, make meaningful improvement and kind of prepare for the scale that we're going to achieve. Because, you know, like I said, I was the 29th employee and we're now over 100 employees um, about a year later. And so, um, so my focus in the early days was how do I take the infrastructure um, and the visibility and all of that and, and move it to kind of the version two that's going to really prepare us for the scale that we're about to experience. So I spent a lot of my first quarter there uh, building all that, building that infrastructure and then, and then I'm making the first few hires on my team as well. I think I, I, I must ask you a risk management question given the business that you're in. When it comes to managing the risk, how do you look at the growth? What are your priorities? What is the approach you I mean, I think there's, uh, we, we talk about there's many buckets of risk uh, that, our, that our customers are trying to solve. Um, there's, you know, things like IT security risk. There's general business risk in terms of, um, you know, many different things, whether it's your, your cash position or your competitive uh, strategy or things like that. Um, so, you know, we're, we, were, we were a small and ever-growing team, and so we've continued to layer on how we manage risk at the company. So, for example, uh, we have, you know, one of, part, of the, part of the hires that we made this year is we brought on um, an assistant general counsel who is leading the legal risk of the company. Um, so, you know, all the, we, we, we sign a lot of contracts with customers. We sign a lot of contracts with vendors. There's apparently risk uh, that needs to be mitigated as you're, you're doing that type of business. Um, and then we also brought on uh, an information security leader who's um, keeping an eye on all of our information security programs, policies, and procedures so that we can uh, tell our customers, you know, we're going to take care of your data as if it was our own um, and protect it. So those are, those are some of the things that come top of mind. I think from a um, kind of truly operational risk standpoint is, um, is legal risk and information security risk. Um, and currently there's other you know, business risks that, uh, for example, venture-backed company, uh, there's financing risk. Are you going to be able to raise your next round of financing? And um, that's something that we've been thinking about, you know, basically since I got here, um, culminating on closing our Series B uh, earlier this week is, is kind of our near-term path to mitigating that, that financing risk. So um, I think the, the ways that we think about risk are 
ballistic. And we've, you know, we, 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 we solved them in terms of, uh, in many different ways, either uh, bringing on someone to the team who we feel like is going to help us appropriately manage that risk, um, and then certainly during um, things like strategic planning and, and uh, we're working through our fiscal year 2020 strategic planning process right now, but thinking ahead, what are we going to, what, you know, as we continue to grow and get to a different scale than we were this past year, what kind of challenges and risks are we going to, do we feel we're going to experience and how can we mitigate against them now by either, you know, thinking, thinking of uh, team members that we feel like, roles that we feel like we should, should be created to help mitigate or just programs and policies that should be implemented, things like that. Oh, yeah. 
uh, based on the data. And so giving them some nuggets of insight as to here's a, here's a customer segment or group that um, is based on what we've observed historically. We're seeing a lot of positive characteristics. So uh, it's a good place to spend your time and be very confident when you're, um, you know, making outreach or having customer conversations and things like that. So uh, we've done that to try to share insights like that that can really influence what people are doing with their uh, their daily time. And then ultimately, you know, if you compound that over um, our entire sales team and then, you know, insights like that across the company, that's when things, uh, you know, finance can be a high leverage uh, place for information sharing that can really impact the, the results of the company. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back with Kevin Jacobson, and we've entered the mentoring round. We always begin this round, Kevin, by asking you, what is it that's exciting you about finance in business today? I think what I've observed is uh, the emerging role that finance is playing uh, in my business uh, in software. Um, I think it's actually become, it's come quite naturally because the tr- traditional models of software were um, very large price tags. You purchase them at one point in time and you'll spend a million dollar piece of software and then uh, you get access to that and for, for forever and you pay a continual maintenance fee for that software, um, maybe 20% of that, a million dollars every year. Uh, the emergence of software as a service um, and cloud software is really just a financing mechanism for software. And so what you find when you work in a software company like that um, is that finance decision-making is front and center. It's everywhere. It's, we have, you know, like I was sharing earlier, we have, we're signing a three-year customer contract. Well, what would, would be an appropriate amount to charge that customer for that three years, presuming that they're going to see value in what we do and we have the opportunity to earn a renewal? And hopefully they continue to be a customer. But uh, that's a, a pricing decision. Uh, there's things like how much commission do you offer to a salesperson for signing that customer? There's uh, things like how much capital do you need to raise based on your expected number of customers that you're going to bring on to the business and how fast you're going to grow. And so um, I think the, the, the conceptual emergence of, of CFOs as strategic leaders and uh, highly influential in the organization. Um, I really observed it being front and center um, in, in, in my business in, in software. Um, and that's been really exciting for me because um, that's the role that I desire to play. You know, I think one one of one of the kind of stereotypes of of finance is is a place where you go to get a mail. And what I always refer 
reasons to say yes, not reasons to say no. And uh, based on, again, based on the nature of the business that we're in, um, we find ourselves at the intersection of a lot of important decisions that really are going to be high impact for the company. And that's, that's what gets me excited to come to work every day. I, I, I feel you know, very engaged uh, with the work that I'm doing and the, and the team that uh, I'm building. We always like to ask finance leaders to think about the first time they stepped into a CFO role. What is that piece of advice they wish someone had given you? Um, if you could go back in time, maybe this is a piece of advice you give yourself. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think this is broadly applicable, but uh, it's definitely something I feel strongly about, which is uh, oftentimes when you get into a leadership role, um, certainly in some sense, certainly a role like the CFO role, which is highly you know, technical in nature, you have to be accurate to the penny in certain you know in certain contexts. Um, a lot of people feel the need to be, they, they feel as though uh, because they're a leader and they're in that role, that they should be perfect, that they should have all the answers, that they should never make a mistake, uh, and, and things like that. And what I've found is um, if you let yourself get drawn into that, it actually um, kind of undermines your leadership. It's an inability to recognize that you did make a mistake or that you could have improved this or you don't have all the answers. And people, people recognize that, and, they, and it can help have the effect of undermining your leadership. So what I've tried to do is trick, trick myself, so to speak, that, you know, when my, when my natural inclination or, or my ego's inclination is to set it, to, to, to uh, you know, get defensive or things like that, is lean into it. You know, lean into the mistake. You're, you're a person. You, uh, people make mistakes. You have opportunities to improve just like everybody else. And so I try to bring that mindset um, to my role, and it, I will admit it was much harder uh, the very, you know, the very first day than it is today. Um, but that's kind of, um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it never becomes easy, I suppose. But uh, it's something I try to keep top of mind, and I feel um, has helped me in, in my journey is um, starting to, um, you know, just lean into those moments. Do you have a personal habit or a part of your daily routine? in some way has contributed to your professional success? Yeah, I have one. Uh, it's more tactical, I think, than um, thematic, but one thing that's really helped me is that, um, you know, during the, as the day goes on, there's, there's lots of problems that come up, lots of emails that come in, lots of, uh, you know, projects that are ongoing. And one of the things that I've found to be uh, extremely necessary for me to keep keep track of uh, what I'm doing and really stay focused on what's important is just develop a place uh, where I'm keeping you know keeping on uh, top of mind what is really important today. And so I try to I end up doing it in a in a software called uh, Airtable. But um, you know it's, it's synonymous with a to do list. It's synonymous with um, you know note taking applications and things like that. But it's really just Really staying disciplined on um, keeping those, keeping that list accurate, and then making sure that at the very top is you know I accomplished these three things today. Then I know that I will have moved the most important, the highest impact, the highest ROI projects forward, and I can feel good about today because what, you know what I found is that the day can never be over. And I know this is true for most people. Is you know there's just an endless amount of things to do, and so the ritual is. And really disciplined on um, keeping top of mind what is really important today, 
inevitably, the hardest thing about that is you have to decide what you're not going to do. And that's always challenging because you want to do everything. So um, that's been a daily challenge for me, but something that like a process-oriented thing that it helps me um, keep track of otherwise what is seemingly an endless amount of things that we can do with our time. We'd like to also ask if you have a book recommendation. Um, and I, often I mention this up front, so I'm sorry if we're putting you on the spot here, but uh, one come to mind, uh, we always like to have the authors in and Google it. So, one of my the, the, the favorite one that I read recently was a book called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Um, Josh Waitzkin is the um, uh, he was the person that the movie uh, Searching for book, the book and the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher was written about. He was a child chess prodigy, so to speak. Um, and he wrote a book that is, uh, so he became a, a world-class chess player and then um, decided to give up chess and started to pursue uh, martial arts. And he became a world-class martial artist. And so the book is really about his journey to become world-class in these two different disciplines, and some of the takeaways that he had from, really, how do you break down learning to its core component, and with the, with the goal of becoming uh, uh, exceptional at something. So, that is tactful and insights, and also kind of, um, you know, off, off, off the topic from my normal, you know, business reading and things like that, so I uh, really enjoyed that one. Intriguing, haven't had that one before, so thank you. Uh, and we are finally up to our final question, which is where we get to ask you to look forward to uh, the next 12 months and tell us what your priorities are as a finance Yeah, we're entering a, uh, a period of sustained uh, growth. So I always tell our team um, that basically every quarter we're going to be breaking records. Um, that's the nature of the high risk business. Notably, you know, this quarter you did more than you did, did last quarter, really across every venture. And so I think, um, you know, I talked earlier in the episode about I came in and we went from the foundation of the, that had been laid by some of the founders and early employees, version one. I spent a lot of time helping us get to, to version two. And, you know, really uh, the next 12 months is all about what does version three look like. Um, we're now over 100 employees. 100 employee organization. We have customers worldwide. We're growing across every team. And so, um, you know, I'm building my team out, uh, adding, adding additional team members. We're learning, uh, we're, we're, we're learning different roles and responsibilities and, and kind of dividing up the world in ways we hadn't before. And so I think it's just, um, you know, keeping a visual eye on what's the right decision in this new context because uh, we've grown significantly since last year. And so, Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. 
If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.